And I'm Brian Avery. And welcome to Voices from the Field, a podcast brought to you by the Department of Sport Management at the University of Florida. This podcast was created to share the career journeys of sport industry professionals. Our hope is that you learn the ins and outs of different sport industry professions. We are excited to be with all of you this week and with our special guest, Rob Stecklow. Rob is the Senior Vice President of the Subscription Marketing for Americas and Global Markets for Dazone Group. So Rob Stecklow is Sport and Entertainment Marketing Executive with over 20 years of experience. So this is going to be a great opportunity to learn from his professional insights uh, in that realm. He's done a lot of global business and brand initiatives. Uh, Beyond Rob's experience with the Danzone Group, he has held positions as the head of sponsorship and event activation for Verizon, the general manager manager for sports products, sponsorship, and original content marketing for DirecTV, and the vice president, advertising and media for the National Football League. Rob also is a graduate from the University of Florida, from the College of Journalism and Communication, and go Gators, right? We'll welcome you right out the gate with uh, the yeah. chomp here, Rob. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the chomp back. Perfect. <laughs> tell you, it's great to be here. And also, it's the second time in my life I've been introduced to that music, Ooh. the Gator Chomp. The first <laughs> time was uh, at my wedding. My wife, who's actually a Maryland Terp, not a Gator, Okay. Thankfully, allowed us uh, to have the band play that as we walked in as, as a couple for the first time. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was 20 years ago. We celebrated 20 years this summer. Um, wow, congratulations. Introduced by the, by the Gator Chomp music at any, at any Is point. Is she a Gator at this point, Rob? Well, yes. Yeah. Now she's, you know, okay. we, we, we're kind of, we've kind of molded. I also support the Terps, but not, not quite like the Gators. I can respect <laughs> that. I can respect that. Well, that's a good story right there. I know you also have a son, Zach, that is attending UF at this point. I do. Yeah. My son is uh, a freshman. He's in the uh, sport management program as well. So he's really looking forward to all the university has to offer. Um, he really, you know, has seen the career I've had and the enjoyment I've had. And we'll, we'll talk through the 20 plus years, but, yeah. and he's seen a lot of the different activations and, and, the, and the ways we use sport to generate excitement and business amongst, uh, you know, America and the rest of the world now. And so he, he wants to be a part of that. And when he was searching, um, obviously UF was at the top based on my connection, um, but also what the university had to offer and the standing it has amongst the top universities. He really felt looking the curriculum uh, was the best program for him. So he's really excited and he's he's down there now and enjoying it. And I, I tell him every week, I'm so jealous he gets to go to all the football games and just walk right across campus to the swamp. <laughs> One to four years, it goes very quickly. Uh, and then it's a bit of a trek to get down, but but you're always welcome down in Gainesville, which is one of the great things about being a Gator. Yeah, no, and it's it's been a great time to be a Gator. Obviously, with the number five public university, number one online sport program that we've we've hit at that point, in the vibe and energy level on campus with with respect to the football team doing so well. So yeah. it's been pretty cool. Uh, it's it's a good thing to be a part of. He's here at the right time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Great. Um, and speaking of your career journey, those 20 years, I'd love to hear, yeah, just some details around how you kind of got into the profession and when you knew, um, did you know before you started school um, that you wanted to get into marketing? So, yeah, so let's start there. Sure. I mean, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I looked at your LinkedIn. I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be like, there's, you could probably do a whole podcast on each job you've had. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief, but. I grew up uh, in the tri-state New York area on Long Island, so uh, outside of New York City, about an hour uh, east of New York City. Moved to Florida in high school. and had never really known much about the Florida Gators uh, or Gainesville, to be honest, until I went up there. Um, 
my senior year of high school for Gator Growl. And I'd applied at the time. I was living in South Florida. Applied uh, at that point. There was one application. You just checked off the different campuses you wanted to attend. <laughs> I think a lot of the students are probably jealous to hear that now. Um, and my, you know, being in Florida, it made a lot of sense to go to school in Florida. I went up to Gator Growl. And I came home and my parents said, well, how was it? And I said, I think I'll die if I don't go there. I mean, it was I was blown away at the campus, the atmosphere, the stadium, the football, Gator Growl, and, you know, just everything it had to offer. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went to college. Um, I have I have uh, older siblings that were both, uh, one had graduated law school, one was in law school. I knew that that wasn't the path I wanted to take. Um, I have a bit more of a creative mind. I, I kind of never wanted to wear a suit and tie, although... I had to when I worked at the NFL, but that was that was worth it. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to use my creativity in my career, and so I uh, I I thought off the bat, hey, I'm a big sports fan. Wouldn't it be cool to be a sportscaster? Hmm. Um, so when I first started at UF, I figured um, I'm going to try and do a track to be on air talent. Um, one of the great things about UF is they grounded you pretty quickly, and not to say they wouldn't support that, but they told you about how difficult the path may be and the sort of pool that starts out wanting to do that and how many actually make it. Um, so, you know, I started my journalism career in thinking, you know, what would it take to be on air? And a lot of the things you do on air are, you know, writing and behind the scenes camera work and different things to produce and get segments ready for being on air. And so, you know, I really took to liking to all that. And I, I decided, um, you know what, TV production and, and radio production and just production in general is an area that I want to go into. Um, so the journalism school was a great fit. Um, I got to work at the campus TV station when I was there. Um, at the time, I don't know what the schedule is like now, but they used to have a 12 o'clock, five minute news update on TV. And then there was a five o'clock program. And I'll never forget the first day um, I had I had cut some uh, B-roll together of a, there was a train crash, believe it or not, nothing sexy, obviously terrible news, but I had, I had put together a B-roll package that aired on the news and I went back to my dorm room and watched it. And I was just, I couldn't believe that I had made something that ended up on TV. And so I'll never forget that moment at UF and being a part of the, the TV station. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just changed my focus from on air to behind the cameras, um, did a ton of work on campus. Um, and thankfully, you know, I knew I wanted to end up back in New York City. Uh, I was able to get an internship and I'm sure many who come on this podcast and I've listened to so many, uh, stress the importance of internships and work experience during yeah. college. Um, I ended up um, getting an internship one summer in New York City at MTV, oh, wow. um, which okay. was a, yeah, they had a TV uh, game show. It was called Lip Service, but uh, okay. nice. it was really exciting because I spent about three weeks in pre-production in the offices, you know, seeing how the writers write and the producers produce and the creative department gets the set ready. And then we spent three weeks in a studio um, so you can imagine as a, as a, as a college student, I, I just loved it. I loved every minute of it and couldn't wait to make that my career. Um, I ended up also getting an internship my senior year at college, uh, the golf channel, which just launched in Orlando. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I drove down once a week, uh, spent about a day there and, um, got a lot of great experience. It was a state of the art studio and worked on, um, golf central was one of their main shows and, and worked at their research department. So again, got to see a different side of a network. And obviously there's a, the similarities are, are they're very vast differences between MTV and the golf channel, one being very conservative and sort of older minded and one being you know, much younger. So, you know, again, for me as, as seeing different brands and companies, how they work, it was really, 
exciting. And so, you know, I, my, I ended up in New York. Um, I worked in TV news at a small company for about a year. You know, I, I, my, my goal out of college was like, get a job. Um, I find a lot of students now are very picky on what job they get out of school. And my advice is always start getting that experience. Mm -hmm. You may not make a lot of money in that first year. You may not make a lot of money in the first five years. That's not what it's about. It's about a long career and building relationships and, you know, continuing to learn and grow. Um, so I did that for a year. Um, and I, I spent time at uh, Comedy Central on The Daily Show when it first launched. Oh, wow. Trevor Noah no is now the host. And then John Stewart before him. I was there when it was Craig Kilborn. I don't know many people don't oh, know Craig Kilborn. Oh, my goodness. He was, uh, he was an anchor on ESPN. So I was obviously um, in awe of him. And so he took a liking to me. And I would do things like run around New York City and pick up his dry cleaning and drop it as a woman <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, I was, I was a part of the um, post-production team there. Hmm. We would watch news feeds and try and find funny videos of things happening. Um, you know, at the time it was a uh, president Bush senior and he, he was on a stage somewhere and his chair fell off and they found that kind of foot, footage funny and they would write jokes around. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stuff I was doing uh, right at, you know, a year out of school. So I, I, I thought it was amazing. Um, and then I got, and then I, then I actually, none of those jobs had anything to do with marketing. Those were all uh, just television production, sitting with writers, producers, seeing how things go from ideas to on air um, taking feedback and perfecting, working with on-air talent. So um, my first marketing job was actually, um, from there, I, I started working on the Rosie O'Donnell show. So many okay. people know who Rosie O'Donnell is, mm -hmm. famous comedian. She had a daytime talk show that at the time was extremely, extremely popular and sort of re-energized the daytime genre. Um, so Ellen, like that's a show that kind of was built out of that and, and you know, had a lot, a lot of success. Um, and it was the first time I got into marketing because... I started working in the on-air promo department. So our job was to tell you who was coming up on the next uh, shows. So we would write scripts and make mini 30 and 60 second commercials every day to say tomorrow on the Rosie O'Donnell show, it's actor A, musical guest B, you know? And so that was my first job in like, you know, actually trying to get you to do something, uh, to watch the next episode, to tune into the next month, to make sure you, you knew that her show was going on the road to, Los Angeles and all those types of things. Um, and the show was extremely fun to work on. I mean, every day it was live um, at 10 a.m. from Rockefeller Center Studios oh, wow. in New York. Yeah, um, We were on the eighth floor. The studio next door was Studio 8H, which is the one that hosts Saturday Night Live. So you could walk over and see what was good. I mean, it was, you know, here I was, my young 20s, working in New York City on the Rosie O'Donnell show, which was a great show, really popular. And every day there would be every celebrity you could think of was on the show, every musical guest, um, really a lot of fun to work on and a lot of great people, really good culture. Um, again, that was my first job in marketing. I really, in school, I didn't think about marketing. It was just all about production. Um, yeah. So many similarities of, you know, the writing and the research and, and, and really preparing for, for moments. Um, then I, you know, then I was, I was, I'm a big sports fan. So I thought, well, I wonder if I could do this on air promotion in sports. Mm. Turns out um, there's a gentleman by the name of Vic Caroli, who's a very famous uh, voiceover artist, commercial voiceover artist. He actually lives in, um, in Naples, Florida now. Okay. In touch with him. And, you know, he had one of those gravelly voices tomorrow on the Rosie O'Donnell show. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he also, you know, so he and I, you know, he, when part of my job was recording the scripts. So we'd write the scripts and we'd put them in an announcer booth and I'd time everything. And, you know, there was a lot of downtime and he and I became friendly. He's a big sports fan. Um, and he said, you know, I actually do. I work with ESPN and ABC. I do Monday Night Football and I do this with CBS. And I'd be happy to like pass along your resume and your reel. At that time, you used to make a demo reel of different, oh, yeah. different commercials you made. So he did that. He, he said, here's six or seven guys and gals in the industry in New York. Why don't you send it along? I sent it along. I followed up. Everyone said, thanks. We'll let you know. You know, never heard anything. Three months later, what I was told to always do is like follow up again. Hey, just checking in. I just did this and this and this. Thanks. Nothing available. And then sure enough, about six months later, I get a call from a gentleman by the name of Dave Warren at ABC Sports saying, hey, I have your reel here. You sent it. Six months ago, we have a we have a freelance job. Are you interested? Now, I had a full time job. This was freelance. I was single, mid twenties. I wanted to work in sports. Maybe see sports. You know, I had a ton of ton of stuff. I said, you know what? I'm going to take the take the chance and go leave a full time job for freelance. It turns out this gentleman, Dave Warren, guess where he went to college? Guess where he graduated from? University of Florida. Oh, he was he was about 15 years older. Okay. But coming through, you know, seven or eight or ten resumes, he he saw the school and said, "Oh, you know, this is a Gator. Let me let me give this guy a shot." So another lesson out there is, you know, the the alumni support and the network is amazing. Oh yeah. Um, he and I also still keep in touch and friendly to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a I had a I had a five year really great experience at ABC. So I did exactly the same thing. I now was not promoting the Rosie O'Donnell show. I was telling you to watch Monday Night Football and college football and figure skating. And I mean, ABC had everything at the time. This was before it was all ESPN. They had, they were actually separate brands. Uh, I also worked with the, with ESPN and we thought, you know, it was, it was the first time I really was introduced to brand marketing. So ABC had a distinct brand and ESPN and, you know, we did a lot to brand together events like championship television. One year we had the Indy 500, the Super Bowl, the college football championship. Uh, I think the in the uh, the PGA Championship. There, there were seven or eight trophies we kind of filmed with so right. of television. So really great um, experience there. Um, my last year there, I did a lot of work on Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. and the NFL uh, that year was launching um, the season in DC, and it was right when they started making a big deal about kickoff weekends. Now that's just normal, but back then, you know, they they didn't really have a Thursday game and a Sunday game. It was just when they started introducing that Thursday kickoff game. And I worked with the NFL really closely with um, kicking off in DC. Britney Spears was the musical talent. It was the Jets and the Redskins and our team and the NFL's team worked really closely together to create a massive campaign. And just following that, um, I got a call from a recruiter at the NFL saying, you know, we're actually hiring this role in marketing somebody that has a TV background to work with our broadcast partners. Like, would you be interested in applying it? You know, the NFL's call. It's like, they always, <laughs> you know, now today it would be like when Google calls, right? You say, yes, you know, when can I start? Um, but it was the NFL. It was, a, it was an amazing, you know, um, opportunity to even interview for it. And I ended up getting an offer and starting there um, the following January. And so, that's that's the place I was at the longest of my career, all, over eight years. Um, it was amazing. I mean, you can imagine every day when you walk in and you see the NFL Shield 
above the doors, um, the feeling you get and, and the pride and, you know, and just, you know, friends saying, oh, what's it like? What do you do? Um, amazingly, when I was there, when I first started, so I think it was, um, I got to remember the date, but it, it, people would say to me, well, what do you do all off season? Because back then the NFL wasn't quite as 12 months a year as it is now. Um, the combine was barely, you know, I don't even think it wasn't on TV. No one cared. Uh, the draft was in the afternoon on a weekend. So, you know, the NFL has done such a great job and it started way back when, but making that a 365 day a year experience. But, um, you know, being at the NFL, I was working on, um, you know, again, working with the broadcast partners. So ESPN and NBC and CBS and Fox and DirecTV and even Sirius Radio. And we also, I was also working on how we would launch and build the NFL's own businesses. So at the time they just had launched the NFL Network we relaunched NFL.com and their own fantasy game. They had launched NFL shop. And so, you know, it was really the beginning of how the NFL was trying to say, you know, we have this power and these passionate fans, how can we put some real businesses behind it? You know, and then we did a ton of community cause related campaigns. Um, if, if, if you're an older alumni, you'll remember like a lot of the United way work. So when I was there, it was sort of phasing out, but we had a few seasons of that. Yeah. Um, I was there when play 60 was launched, which is oh, still yeah. around today. Right. We did a lot of work on different player and cause campaigns, depending on, you know, again, what the issues may be at the time. And uh, I did a lot around like Hurricane Katrina relief. It was, it was a real proud moment of, of my career. Um, and also worked on um, about six different Super Bowl commercials for the NFL, which was amazing. You know, anytime you can work on something as a, as a key producer and have 100 million people see it and friends and family know that you worked on it. We had some really, really good stories. Um, I could tell anyone, anyone who wants to hear more about that, we could do it offline, but uh, really, really rewarding stuff. Um, and then you'll see the common theme in my career. I had been working with the broadcast partners and one was DirecTV um, and they had an opening to lead their sports uh, platform area. And the gentleman I was working with was being promoted. His name's Alex Kaplan, a really, really good guy. Um, and so he recommended, Hey, talk to this guy. We've been working with the NFL. Um, and so it turned out, I went over to direct TV for, for almost six years. And that was a much different role in that it was marketing, but it was, it was revenue generating. So it was the first time I ever had, um, P and L responsibilities. So yeah. typically for, for the young students out there in particular, when you're in marketing, you just spend money. Um, so, which is good and bad, uh, <laughs> not, there's not a big revenue number on your, you know, directly on you to, to achieve. But in the direct TV role, um, I ran Sunday ticket product, which as you know, is, is a pretty powerful subscription product. And then oh, we yeah. had subscription yeah. products for NFL, uh, NBA and NHL and MLB. And I did UFC and Showtime and HBO boxing. And, mm. you know, every one of those had a certain amount of subscribers that had to sign up and a certain amount of revenue that we had to achieve. And we would, I would sit with you know, a bunch of uh, analysts and, and we would map out, you know, the, the revenue that we think we could generate and how many market, how much marketing dollars we would need to spend. And so it was the first time I, I was really introduced um, to a lot of numbers. Um, being a marketing guy, it's not the strongest of my areas, but obviously now further along. But another thing for, for you folks in college to jot down, like pay attention in all those uh, finance classes, uh, they do come back <laughs> handy down the line. Um, and it was, it was great. And I was, I was also there during a, during a corporate merger. So AT&T bought DirecTV when I was there. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. And so now you're part of this massive, you know, telecom, um, you know, company and, and things change and the culture change, not for 
better or for worse. Just, you know, you, you kind of go through a big merger like that. It's, it's different. Um, and then, uh, and then actually, um, my, my folks that I knew at the NFL that I, that I dealt with, um, when I worked there had, had called me because I live in New Jersey and Verizon's headquarters is, is about a half hour from my house and said, you know, that the people running the sponsorship team, they're looking for someone new to, to lead the sponsorship team. So-and-so has left. We, we recommended you, you talk to them because the bit, one of their biggest sponsors is the NFL. That's Verizon's the NFL sponsor. Um, so it worked out well that um, I transitioned actually over from at and to Verizon um, in, in running their uh, sports and entertainment uh, experiential and sponsorship group. So this was, again, now I was back to spending a lot of money. Um, so we, were, we had a lot of sponsorships that included technology and integrations and 5G and, you know, technology and stadiums and arenas, um, as well as we built out uh, the CMO who's still there. He, he wanted to get into entertainment and, and music, and we built out a whole music platform, and we helped launch a, a loyalty program called Verizon Up, which if you're a customer, you should join. It's free, and you get a lot of points and different access to events. Um, so, you know, again, it was how do you use all of these partnerships we have to, to, to give back to the, the customers. So tickets, access, behind the scenes, yeah. you know, charge your phone at a, at a, you know, a, a music festival, those types of things that you think are, you know, kind of not that big of a deal, but you know, if any of us have been to a music festival, know it be a nice Verizon VIP tent and you show your, your phone that you're a Verizon customer and they let you in. It's a pretty big, pretty big uh, deal. Those are nice perks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was at Verizon and I enjoyed it a lot. And then, um, you know, I, 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 I got a call from DAZN. You guys were close, by the way. <laughs> we tried. I tried. We I, tried. I, tried. I knew I was going to botch it, but. <laughs> but I had known, I had known about DAZN, um, you know, through obviously being in the sports industry. Um, it's a global sports streaming service. So it's actually more aligned with what I was doing at DirecTV. So we, we, we spend money, but I'm, you know, as a subscription lead, marketing lead, you have a certain amount of subscribers you have to generate, you know, it's very CPA driven. There's a lot of direct uh, response media that we're buying at certain um, levels and spends. And so there's a lot of sort of science that goes into it um, as well as the emotional marketing and, and just sort of awareness marketing. So um, to me, it was exciting. Um, having, having been at AT&T and then Verizon, those are massive companies, obviously 150,000 plus employees. Um, at the point of the career, at the point of my career, I was in, I was attracted to a smaller company. Um, it's global. I work on not just the the U.S. and Canada, which is what I came on to, and there are different products, different sports in each in each uh, market. But now I'm working on global markets, so South America, Latin America, Mexico, the, the U.K. and Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Poland. Um, you, you name it. So, you know, we have global boxing rights, for instance, we had a fight this past weekend. And so we have subscribers coming on all over, all over the world. And so I have various team members or even consultants in different markets that help us get uh, fight fans and sport fans aware of the product okay. and, and sort of, you know, making sure that internally we're, you know, recapping everything and, and perfecting, um, you know, so the next fight that comes along, we can acquire consumers for less money and keep them for a longer amount of time so right hopefully that wasn't too long um that was good it's thorough it's been a long, yeah, long I, like, I have so many yeah. questions to add in but i think we'll right. get there because i was like well this is a lesson for our students and that's a lesson <laughs> um yeah. but that was great and what um so in your current role what, what is a, 
a day-to-day look like for you? Well, my company's based in London. So, um, you know, pre it's funny because I can give you a pre-pandemic and then a post-pandemic answer. But essentially, I used to be in New York City four days a week. Uh, our office is in the World Trade Center. Um, and we had, um, you know, we had sort of a local marketing team based in the sort of working on the U.S. and Canada. And then we have a lot of central functions, like shared functions, because we're out of London, which is where our headquarters is, because our company... Um, again, we use the same infrastructure. It, it, we're just like Netflix. Think of Netflix, but we're sports. So you you open the Zone app, and if you're in Germany, it'll show you all the sports we carry in Germany. When you then go into France, it's different, you know, different uh, uh, sports products. So there's a lot of functions that se- that centrally are located in London that we work with because they're able to like use economies of scale and you know work across all these different markets. So in my role. I'm doing a lot of uh, work with London uh, and those those central teams. And then also we have like a local marketing and, and local function expertise. So in a typical day, um, you know, there's there's some set standard meetings. I mentioned boxing is a big focus in the U.S. and globally. In Canada, what actually drives our business is the NFL and European soccer. So we have the Premier League and the Champions League. Um, so those are those are some different things. Um you know, I'm part of more of like a leadership team now. So there's there's some leadership meetings and there's a lot of different, um, I'd say, uh, over the course of the week, a lot of look at numbers, like I mentioned, a lot of different, um, you know, trying to use what we learn in other markets in Japan. How can we use that in Canada? Because there's a similar thing. A sport has ended. Subscribers have left the platform, mm. but they've they did some different tactics oh can we use those same ones in the in canada as we near the end of the nfl season you know in january february so you know just trying to trying to look at across all of our markets and how we can share information best possible um and then you know i think as you get a a little further along in your career there's also a lot of people management so i have a team um i care about everyone who's ever worked for me i know a lot of people say that but i truly believe it and you know work-life balance uh, especially with the pandemic has been hard. We've we've mostly been remote. We're starting to go back into New York City now, which is great. It's good to see everyone, good to be in the same room. Um, and hopefully what I think will happen is you'll have a maybe a better balance. Maybe it's not five days a week. You know, for, for us in this tri-state area, it's three hours of my day to get in and out of New York City, right? Mm-hmm. An hour and a half each way. So, um, you know, if I could do it three days a week, that's better than five. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, so we're just trying to figure out what works best for everyone. That makes sense. Yeah, that's helpful. It's good to know too, like the remote, I think that's a uh, a hot topic as far as everyone transitioning back in and, and being able to yeah. go, some will work remote part-time and all the hybrid options. I think what I'm finding, and I think a lot of people are finding with remote is it works really well. It does, except when you start to bring in new people. Mm-hmm. And so now we're 18 months into it and now we've had turnover. And so think about starting a new job and never really being in person. Like I've never... I've never started a new job where I didn't go into the office day one and say, you know, walk around, hey, here's Bob, here's Mary. I mean, that's the way it works, right? Now we're on Zooms and we're, we're, we're you know, in Teams meetings and we're introducing people in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think it's just much harder for the new hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're trying to figure out. I mean, that's where I think you, you're going to need to have some office presence. It's going to be really hard to have none. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, we had hired two faculty members uh, about a year out prior to COVID, and then we didn't actually meet them until this August. Yeah. 
it was like starting from scratch, even though they had been working with it was like, well, here's this and let's, you know, get you acclimated that and get your computer set up. And it was really tough. Uh, so I can sympathize with you in that regard. And, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you were talking about a minute ago about leadership and that you've kind of evolved into a leadership role and you're looking at more numbers and teams that you're responsible for. How do you think you've evolved as a leader? I mean, going all the way back to your time as an intern at, at the Golf Channel or, or you know, even previous to that, to your leadership skills today, your ability to innovate today, you know, and just how you've changed as a person uh, along that journey. Yeah, it's funny. I have a, uh, a, a w- one of my mentors is a former a boss of mine and uh, when I was at the NFL and I used to hmm. say to him like, oh, I want a bigger team. And he said, you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, you know, the more people you have uh, doesn't necessarily equate to, uh, you know, more job responsibility. I think that's that people think that, um, but it does, you know, it takes more time of your day and, um, yeah. you know, uh, being a little older now, I can sympathize what it's like for people who have young kids and want to get home and, you know, have to attend something at school or they want to see, you know, like those types of things. Or, um, so I think I've just, I've always felt, um, you know, I don't, I don't raise my voice. I'm not that, that kind of leader. I mean, you know, we've all worked for different types of people and, and different styles. Um, I've always been pretty open to my, uh, folks on my team. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't care where you are. I'm not going to clock you in or clock you out. I just expect the job to get done. Um, I ask people to raise their hand and let me know if they need help on things like that's, that's what good senior leaders can, can do is, you know, help apply pressure above us. If like, you know, you're stuck somewhere, or you, you know, you're having a problem and you don't have the right level of support. Right. And you have to do it before, um, it's too late. Like that's the other thing I've tried to instill amongst the younger employees. Like you can't, can't call me on Friday at four o'clock that, oh my God, tomorrow we're, we're screwed. You know, like a little more notice than that, um, you know, and, and I'd say, um, and this is one of the great things about the zone. They're not afraid to fail. There's a lot of, we call it test and learn. Mm. Um, some of the companies I've worked for say that, but then there's, they don't really back it up. This is the first, honestly, like one of the first places I've, I've worked where they, they do back it up that, you know, assuming things aren't way out of control. Like, you know, no one's going to get mad at you if we've tried something and it didn't work too well. I mean, okay. we may not do it again. Um, and we try, I try and support that, that theory as well. And just, you know, give people a little more open um, runway to, you know, try and think of things on their own and, yeah. and try some new things. So, you know, that, that's one thing that I've learned over time is that if, if the company doesn't back it up, it's hard as a leader to say that to your team. Cause then people get sort of, you know, a little bent out of shape about it, which I, which I don't, I agree. Yeah. No, no, I can respect that. Uh, hands off approach until it's necessary at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah. we, we do that in, in our college classes at this point with our students. It's like, listen, here are the tools. Here's what we're looking for. If you have a problem when you run into along the, 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 the journey, just let us know so we can help, uh, and get you over that, that hump so that, you know, you put a good work product together and, and get the grade that you're looking for. So, uh, it's teams, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to, to work with one another to achieve a, a common goal is the way I see that. So now beyond that, I mean, in thinking back to your college days to where you are now, I mean, what is one thing that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career that would have helped propel you light years ahead, if you will? Uh, well, I don't know about light years, but I, I do mention this to young students that 
I wish I was fluent in Spanish. I think I might've mentioned this to you on another call, Brian, but you know, as a marketer, um, yeah. it's no surprise if you look at the fastest growing segment in the U S it's yeah. among U S Hispanics. And I think it's not that it set me back, but it could have propelled me forward even, you know, further. Okay. Um, I think, and again, you probably don't want to hear that when you're in college and you don't care, but, um, you know, as a marketer, the more you, the more you just said it, the more tools you can bring to an employer. So if it's not Spanish, is it something else? I just think in the, if you're a U.S. based marketer, Spanish is um, a kind of a no brainer. Um, I probably, um, I pro, I, I, I always preach to people too, like the writing skills, like um, telling the story. Um, I, I feel like UF did a really good job at sort of teaching me how to write. And I remember we had electronic media writing classes, not, you know, we're not writing novels, right? We're writing stories and, and even uh, up to my job at Verizon, you know, it, it was so important where, you know, a lot of what we did was get up in front of executives and, and have to show a PowerPoint and the PowerPoints were stories. And so I always tell people like, learn how to use the PowerPoint, but not just the tools, but like tell the stories create slides that are, you know, that Apple would have up at one of their, um, you know, product launches. That's kind of what they would say at Verizon. Like, that's what they want to see. And then you tell the story. And so, okay. you know, do as much writing as you can. And so I'm glad I did that. The Spanish is one I I'm, I wish I did a little more of. Yeah. No, I, I respect that. Uh, I know just enough to be dangerous, if you will. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, and then the writing, though, I, I do it every day and I teach it. I like I've gone put testing aside, if you will, and everything is just applied writing based, you know, responses at this because it's so yeah. important uh, to be able to tell that story. And, and I teach that. I mean, you know, tell me the story uh, in my risk management, my legal classes. So I absolutely understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, we, we've had um, we I've worked under CMOs that that, you know, for, for marketers, it's what's the elevator pitch. Yes. So what if you got into the, and this has happened to me, if you got into the elevator with Commissioner Goodell and he said, what are you working on? What would you answer? Like, like <laughs> always think of that. Like I'm working on a commercial that I'm like, no, like what's the real yeah. cool, simple way you can frame that you, you, you meet the Verizon CEO um, in the elevator, you know, what are you guys working on? Yeah. Um, so that, that's always like, for me, it's like you start the most simple and then you can build out the writing from there, but it's, yeah. it, it's hard for people to get to the simple. Sometimes. Yeah. We overcomplicate things. Yeah. And well, we're... I think oh, this, um, sorry, Margaret. Um, I was just going to say too, but I think about this generation coming up and their Instagram, like they don't have, a, they don't typically write massive amounts of information on there. Now some of them do, but that is, they're going to become their generation as far right. as they don't even have the capacity for a lot of content in my opinion, because they're so used to the next thing. And so, yeah, but I love that the whole narrative, like writing your narrative, they're good at like telling their stories, their pictures, and now how they can bring that into a marketing field would be, would be awesome. But even practicing that now. Would, yeah. Would you know, you, you go out and you have a summer internship at blank and then you come back and see, you'll say, how was it? Good. It's like, no, how was it? It was great. I worked on X, Y, and Z, and I saw this and, and met three, you know, customers who told me this, this, and this, like, you know, just have that story ready. But I think having the story ready requires you to do the preparation and think about it in your head. And that's really what you want to, 
try and do over your career. You know, the story, you'll write the story, but if you just constantly remember, remind yourself to go through those motions, that I think that's really important. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's like, Rob, with your introduction, I know you like the back of my hand at this point. I mean, you told a story about your career trajectory in a way that was memorable. And I'm like, oh, and you told little stories inside those stories about experiences you had. And I'm like, all right, now I can think back to exact things you were doing in those those companies. So, you know, they should pick up and I'll, I'll definitely reference this, you know, uh, podcast for the students to to learn that craft, if you will, and to, mm -hmm. to kind of gain some advice or insight as to how you did that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, it's funny, one of the other courses, I, as you're saying this, I, I, I went through at UF was a public speaking course. Mm. I remember before that I was, I mean, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm shy, but I never really wanted to like get up in front of everyone uh, and speak in that class, um, uh, you know, definitely made it easier. Um, you know, and to the point in my career now where I've been up, you know, in front of three or 400 people in a room and, you know, not to say you get up there and it's so easy, but it's just, you know, those are the types of things that you have to take advantage at school. If you go up in front of that class and you flub, so what? I mean, that's what you're there for. Right. Um, if you don't try at all though, and you, and then you're four or five years in your career, like every year it'll compound a little more. So yeah, I mean that, um, you know, I appreciate you said that I've been, you know, those are the kinds of things that I've, you know, I've worked on over the years. Well, it's working. So yeah. yeah. Well, and I just wondered too, like, I don't know if we're required. Do our students have to take public speaking? I hope they do. Just because I think that there's an easy way also to hide in the, in the media that we have as well. And so being able to come out of college and be forced kind of into an uncomfortable position for a lot of people, it's just not natural to get up necessarily and talk. And so how um, how critical that is too for, for all of us, because you're going to work with a team of some sort, most likely like on average people do. Um, so yeah. that's great. We'll make them take Spanish and, and, <laughs> and public speaking. I just created two, two more classes for the group. <laughs> you might have. No. <laughs> um, awesome. And really quick question on the, on the Spanish and your international work. Did you know you wanted to do international marketing? Because in a lot of ways you are engaged in that in a big way now. Well, I never, I've never thought about it. Um, the first time I was introduced to it, when I was at the NFL, I did some work with our NFL Canada and NFL Mexico office. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time I was there, it was the first time they had uh, the, the regular season game in Mexico City. So we did a lot of work with, with that office. And um, I had gone down a few times to Mexico City. To, we had, we had, NFL had an office there and we worked with our ad agency. And the, the one thing about um, when you speak English and business is like everybody speaks English. But then there were times where they were, they were then talking to me in English just because I was the only one who didn't know Spanish. And I felt like geez, I should know the language. Like I'm one of the more senior people in the room. The NFL has flown me down here to help oversee the marketing for this game. And, you know, it just, I just felt uncomfortable. Um, so I just think it's, I just think it's really helpful. Um, yeah. But in terms of thinking about, you know, international markets, I never really like after that, it wasn't like I thought of, you know, Hey, I really want to work on all these different, you know, global markets. Um, my comfort zone is more North America and, and U.S. Obviously, based on the brands I've been a part of. Um, but the zone was the first time where, you know, when I came on, it was, hey, you'll work 85% on U.S. and Canada, but eventually might have this opportunity elsewhere. And as I've been more comfortable inside the zone, and you know, where it's it's honestly it's it's a big world out there. It's really exciting, uh, especially the further along you get in your career and 
you know, you just, you start working on things, um, you know, outside the, the U S and, and plus with, with, with the way like social media, we, you know, the partners we work with, you know, whether it's, you know, Google, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. I mean, that's why I, I go back to that central, you know, excellence, uh, center of excellence we have in London with our team. I mean, when we're doing things uh, with YouTube, we can do them everywhere. So it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's much different than when I first started, which I think would be, you'd have to kind of go into each market and really understand the media landscape. And, you know, there's a much uh, smaller barrier to, to kind of like to entry for marketing in these markets. Now um, it's sort of a, you know, there, there's the social media aspect and, and, and the, you know, the different media partners there. And then if you could find some local experts to help you fill in the gaps, um, I found it really, really uh, entertaining and, and fun to work on. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then, um, and I think it, we're getting more global, right? We just have more access with all of technology and, you know, you're seeing um, different, I'm just watching even like front office sports and things that are coming out, feels like more mergers could potentially happen. And just the crossover of even sports from like a cricket or rugby to the States yeah. now, and we didn't, you know, have, we didn't really know. We knew English Premier League and all that, but you're seeing those sports come in to the States as well. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, when, when, you know, when I was just out of school, um, watching a Gator football game in New York City was hard, to be honest. This was mm-hmm. 1996. Yeah. There were, uh, you guys are laughing, but there were two or three that were on national TV. <laughs> the rest, we had to go to a sports bar. There were one or two in New York City. One was a great one, the Sporting Club, which is no longer there. But um, And a shout out to the Gotham Gator Club, who, who ran the, the, the program there and is still running it today. But um, you know, and then you, you, you forward to now, which is basically like, I can get any sporting event anywhere in the palm of my hand. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty amazing. That's in, uh, 20 years. Right. And so, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and, and sports is one of the things that translates so well globally. Um, you know, the, the power of sport and, um, just the, you know, the, the similarities all the sports have and, um, you know, it's quite fun. Like I, I follow the English Premier League and it's it's quite fun to to start rooting for some new players and teams and, you know, waking up on a Saturday morning and uh, even pre-college game day, they're live. <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah. I'm a soccer player. That's my background. So we would be on the bus and our coach who's uh, English was would be English Premier League. You'd hear it like the whole yeah. time. He would be like, we can't do that at that time. I, the game's on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um to follow up with it, you know, you've mentioned people you work for. Um, just curious if you could name a few that we you found to be incredibly influential to you, um, and kind of the, the role they played. Um, well, I mean, I don't have a, a bunch to name like by name, but I could give you just some examples if that that's helpful. Um, I mean, just in my career in general, like I would tell people, like it's always really helpful to have um, a, a really strong support from you know your spouse, significant other, et cetera. I mean, my wife um, early on when I would travel and we had three young kids at home, you know, it was difficult for her. And you know, being part of sport marketing, a lot of weekend travel and going to events, and yeah, by the way, it sounds a lot of fun and it is, but it's also your job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and you know, so she was really supportive. Um, along the way, I mean, I mentioned the transitions I had, um, from job to job. And like I said, I mean, to this day, I, I keep in touch with so many of my, my past, um, bosses, my superiors who, um, so many were helpful at 
getting me into the next role or supportive when I said, Hey, I'm leaving here. I'm going to our partner. They want to hire me. And it's like, Oh, okay, great. You know what? It makes sense. It's the right time. And so, um, you know, and then there's been, um, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough when I was, what is it? The NFL, I was part of their mentor program. And so there were, there were, there were senior executives that I was matched with. Some are still there that were really supportive over the years. And, you know, people give you their cell phones, Hey, call me or text me if you have any questions along the way. Um, so to me, it's, it's a lot of just, um, you know, different, uh, people you've come across in the past. And even if I don't work for them, just, I've always made it like part of my job to meet people who are a different, all, all different, uh, levels of the organizations I've been a part of, but it's especially, uh, people who might be more senior. Um, I tell people in school all the time, like if, if you want to, ask someone at your job that's not a part of your group hey would you like to get a coffee for 15 minutes i'd love to hear more what you do like i don't think any not many people will say no and if you do that once a month after a year you'll have 12 contacts um you know if somebody says no or you know they don't follow up that's you know they can go to the next person on the list but you know like i've tried to do that so when i was at direct tv our office was in new york our headquarters was in la every time i went to la i would i would map out someone new that I can talk to. Maybe they worked in customer care. Maybe they worked in the, you know, the satellite technology space. Maybe they were in the rights department. I mean, some of them were more core to what I did and some weren't. Um, and a few of those folks I still keep in touch with, you know, like that's the kind of relationships you make. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just helpful along the way. No, that's really helpful. A great reminder for our students. We tell them that, but it's always good when somebody else says yeah. too. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I know. Um, it's just, uh, it's not, sometimes it's not natural, but I think over time, especially like you said, with technology and all the tools we have today, um, it makes it a little easier. That's mm -hmm. for sure. It used to be a phone call and meet in person. Now it can just be a text and a, you know, a, or a quick chat. We'll just keep reinforcing it. And each time that person, <laughs> we just keep pulling that snip and go, here, look at this. This is yeah. important. So, so you talked about, you know, content growing in, in the sports space and, Obviously, access has become uh, much easier along that journey as well. But how is sport marketing specifically aligned in that? How has that grown along with all these different changes? Yeah, I mean, the sports marketing and marketing in general has changed, obviously, pretty dramatically since I since I got into marketing, um, you know, which was back then it was mostly uh, using TV and radio, you know, now, I mean, Sadly, when I started my career, like online advertising was just starting. Um, and now um, everything you read is true. I mean, you, you know, TV's not going away. I mean, it's, you know, you, you look at reaching 20 million people in an NFL game. It's really hard to replicate that. Right. Um, but the, the social and digital tools that we're using um, and, the, and the search, you know, engines and, and just everything that goes with like performance media is becoming so much more powerful and trackable and you know you really can understand um what you're spending and what you're getting back um so i think that you know one of the things i i tell a lot of young folks um one of the great places to start in the industry even if it's not in sports is like if one of the big ad agencies they, a lot of them have different programs on mm -hmm. buying and selling media so a media agency um, you learn a lot in those, you know, it's almost like a grad school class. I know, kid, okay. I know kids who have come through that and said, you know what, I didn't want to be in that for long and I love it and I'm still in it. 
or I did it for a year and I learned a ton. And now, you know, because buying and selling media and understanding all the different, you know, um, you know, terms, you know, how things work, what things should cost. Um, it's, it, it's, it's quite complicated, but it's, it's really fascinating. So I think, yeah. you know, that has grown. Um, you know, we talked, you know, I think, um, in, in sports in general, and not just because I'm at a sports streamer, but I mean, the, the sort of, you know, cord cutting and in the next five, 10 years where things will migrate to. I mean, I don't know if everyone realizes, but next year to watch Thursday night football with the NFL, it's going to be only through Amazon prime. So you won't get it on TV. So like, these are the things, you know, and I know that you mentioned watching English premier league. Uh, a lot of those games are now on the Peacock app. And so right. I have a lot of friends who are very upset about that. And I say, yeah. well, that's just the where that's where it's going. That's mm-hmm. where, you know, there'll be less and less people spending money on a TV subscription. We'll just take that same money and spend it on, you know, these, these streaming subscriptions, but it really unlocks a lot more, right? You can get every game now yeah. instead of one channel, one game at a time. Um, so I think that that'll continue to grow and make it, you know, make marketing, um, you know, again, more difficult as, as less and less maybe are on TV. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, um, the other thing that's interesting and it's, it's maybe a little more sport related, but, and I know it's happening in the SEC, but these sort of super conferences. So they mentioned, they mentioned it happening in Europe. Obviously we're seeing that with, with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, Mm -hmm. but you know, the strongest brands are going to survive and some of the smaller ones may not. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a traditional guy and I, I, I don't love some of it, but at the same time, I'm okay with change and, and things adapting and, um, you know, everything I've seen, it always gets more exciting. Um, so hopefully there's a place for smaller clubs and, and, and niche brands. I mean, again, with all the different devices out there and content you could consume it seems like there there could be multiple leagues um yeah. you know that could, that could exist at the same time so no it, yeah i was one of those that was upset by the way about the peacock act because i wanted <laughs> to watch the manchester united game in ronaldo and yes couldn't find it for like 30 minutes uh, <laughs> so yeah so but no i can respect that it, it you'd said something about you know maybe micro leagues or something i know like the pga is is are playing with our toying the notion if you will of branding each specific player uh and and having some sort of content creation for each of them uh you know and and having a platform where fans can follow just that person moving forward so i think it's getting that hyper specific uh if you will in 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 the marketing space so with that said and, and considering a student in a trajectory and where they are today and where they might be five years and 10 years down the line What's something that could be helpful to them to prepare for that and where this is going in the industry from a sport marketing perspective? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I have a specific role or area that, that may be better suited than the other. I mean, I think my general statement would say, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of young students that I meet, even in high school, they say, oh, I want to work in sports. Sounds fun. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you want to do? What are you good at? What do you mean? I said, well, are you strong in math? Yeah. I'm a, you know, I, I thought about accounting, but that's kind of not what I want to do. I want to do sports. And I say, well, you know that 
every job that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I've always sat side by side with a finance team. Oh, really? Yeah. You can work in finance at the NFL. You can work, you know, and so whether it's public relations or research, like, you know, find your niche and then grow from there. Don't try and don't try and be everything when you graduate. Sometimes I, I think that's, that's difficult. Um, you know, even being on the other side of things, when we have a lot of young applicants for a role, you know, when I was at the NFL, for instance, they post three, three roles at the same coordinator level, which is more of like a entry level. And you get people applying to all three and you say, well, mm-hmm. how serious is this person? If they're applying to one in one's in PR, one's in community relations, and they just want to work here. It's like, well, you know, it'd be, it'd be a lot better if you were really strong in community relations and you applied just for the one. So I would say like, you know, if you can find your niche and, and yeah. build on it, it doesn't have to be one path. Maybe it's one or two. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think that that to me would be the way to, you know, keep yourself ahead of the, the trends because um, I'm sure you guys are preparing them for more of the digital transition and, and those sorts of things. We're trying, right? <laughs> it's hard for us to keep up. I mean, I'm on every platform known to man and I'm like, whoa. Okay. So yeah, it's mind blowing sometimes uh, to keep up with everything. And, and I would imagine as time progresses, we're going to start to have some scaling back in that because not everything can survive this, if you will. So Yeah, I think that the, the consensus is there'll be a consolidation of some point and, and there'll yeah. be a bunch of services merged into two or three or whatever. You know, there'll be something like that. It's just, you know, we'll be back to like a probably like a cable bundle, but it'll just be an OTT bundle. It'll be very similar. There we go. All right. Fair yeah. enough. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and when it comes to working in an environment that's very high paced, sounds like all of your positions and roles have been in that. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, how have you stayed, um, you know, how are you able to stay healthy um, in, in an environment like that? If you have or if you have daily routines that really help you just stay a little bit more balanced, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, especially with the pandemic and and technology and, and sort of, you know, a nine to five day sort of being, you know, in the ancient past at this point, it's really important that you unplug. Um, I, I learned when my kids were little that the only time I would get to myself was sort of like five to 7am, you know, like very early. So I, I became a, a, a an early morning workout guy. So I, I actually, um, I got into biking and running. I ran the New York City Marathon in 2017, wow. which was amazing. Wow. With a Gator t-shirt on, by the way. Okay. Love that. I had many Gator chomps along the way and a few SEC chants from some other fans, which was cool. <laughs> that was fun. Um, I, and, I, and I started doing CrossFit three years ago, so that, that's been fun. So I go in the morning. So that's my thing. I go. I'm up early. It's over by 7 a.m., showered, ready to go for the day. Um, but to me – uh, it's just, it's good to like, you know, just have something that takes your mind off of work and stress and, and everything else. Um, so yeah, just pick, pick what you like, pick what you can do. Um, I think one of the really nice things too, around, you know, if there are nice things that came out of the pandemic, I see a lot more people in my community walking, yeah. taking phone calls, you know, with their earbuds on like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, just trying to, trying to keep active and, and, and healthy is definitely important. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, absolutely. So for our students that are considering a career in this field, if you will, or similar career, when you're considering one for hire, right, what are you looking for and what suggestions would you have for a student 
after they've been hired, say day one, week one, month one kind of thing on the job, what do they need to know? And, and what, what, what qualities and, and, and qualifications should they have when they're uh, coming, coming for these positions? Yeah, I think, and again, this is this is from me, so I don't think this is this is sort of like everyone has these. I, no, I get that. <laughs> if I'm a hiring manager and you're looking for someone at a school entry level, I would say make sure your resume starts with your work experience, not your not your your GPA and yeah. your school. Um, everybody is a, is coming from a great college degree. Yeah, you're not as great as Florida. Um, everyone you know so to me it's like start your resume with you know maybe a thought about who you are and what you want to do and then start listing uh you know campus tv station Mm -hmm. campus radio this advertising agency whatever whatever the jobs and by the way they don't have to be major jobs um one of the things i did at school was you know when when, uh cbs came in for a football game i was on the field once pulling cables like uh, resume right so that's just production experience. So think of the things that make sense and put them on there. You don't need long de- you know, definitions behind each one just to show that you're out there trying a lot of experiences. Of course, you want to see University of Florida. We want to see your major. We want to see your GPA, any clubs you've been in and those sorts of right, things. Right. But you got to stand out a little bit um, amongst, you know, everyone else with the, the real like kind of, you know, it's work experience. That's what we call it. I mean, it, you know, it's internship. You, you've You've, you've had a boss, you've had responsibilities, you've come into an office, you've showed up Monday through Friday. Like those are important things for people to know. Um, you know, I would limit if you can uh, some of the more, you know, uh, ancillary stuff uh, just to, you know, I've, I've seen entry level three page resumes, like mine's two pages, you know, so, and I've been working 20 something years. So just keep it tight, um, try and stand out on, on the resume. And then, you know, when you start, um, you know, I mentioned a little bit like, you know, just trying to trying to network, you know, you don't want to do it right off the bat. You don't want to be that person who comes in and is always trying to get better. You know, try and stand out of your job. Try and I would say um, there's a lot more movement now amongst younger students. People come in three months, they're out. I mean, when, when I was when I was a graduate, it was more of the you have to stay a year or something looks bad. Right. I mean, that's maybe not necessarily so now, but uh, I'd say if you're going to be somewhere six months, be really good for six months, you know? Okay. Um, you know, just give it your all. Um, try and make those connections, like I mentioned, maybe once a month um, okay. as you've been in a few months. Um, so hopefully that helps. No, it, it does. Absolutely. Uh, it falls in line with a lot of people's perspective in that re- regard. So yeah. uh, consistency is key is what I'm hearing. So we can take mm-hmm. that. Let them know, and and then you know, hopefully, it will be used to their advantage. We're trying our best. I can promise, prepping <laughs> yeah. them for their careers at this point. So this is uh, this is great feedback. So beyond that, if our if our students were interested in connecting with you moving forward, would there be a way that you prefer that they do so to kind of initiate a conversation? Um, I I'd say LinkedIn's probably probably the okay. best. Um, cool. if you want to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I will connect there and we can set up time through the LinkedIn chat to talk one-on-one. I'm happy to. Um, I've spoken to many Gator students over the years. I was part of the more recent um, program they had as well. And um, yeah, I'm happy to help or answer questions um, or if not a, you know, a a phone call or, you know, just through the chat there, if there are questions people want to ask me, my, my email is on there as well. Okay, perfect. No, I appreciate that. Uh, You'll get a few. 
I can promise. No. <laughs> so beyond all the fun that we've had on Voices from the Field thus far, we're going to kick it up a notch, if you oh, will. Boy. We like to do and we didn't tell you about this. this is yes, we didn't have this into the email, so. These are easy. Yeah, you might need some water. Um, so we do this rapid fire Q&A session, but it's chock full of all lighthearted questions. Uh, and at this point, I'm going to give Shelly the floor. Take it away. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't tell you the questions yet, but um, they're really easy. Whatever comes to mind, just go for it. Um, and if you want to pass, you can pass. I'm going to put a timer on for one minute um, and then we'll get going. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> you look nervous. Don't have any words. All right. So when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, a housekeeper in a hotel. True story. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Favorite sport to play? Um, tennis. What's the worst haircut you've ever had? Um, I'm just happy to have hair. Um, <laughs> you didn't have any funny I ones had, in your life? I had a bowl cut when I was little. No, yeah. <laughs> what, um, name two daily habits. Um, drinking a lot of water and, uh, waking up at 530 in the morning. Okay. Favorite zoo animal? Ooh, uh, zebra. Hmm. First job? First job was I worked at a deli uh, on Long Island as the bottle boy. I would go in and oh, restock wow. all the fridges at night. Oh, that's cool. I was in <laughs> 16. Uh, mountains or beaches? Beaches. That's an easy one. And oh, last one. My timer is actually going up, but I will do one more. LinkedIn or Twitter? Oh. Tie. <laughs> okay, like, that's a perfect time to tie. I, I, I'm on both every day, if that means anything. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for participating. Um, it was good to hear some fun facts about you. Yeah, it sure was. You know, you know, it's your favorite sport to play. I don't know. I don't know if it's tennis. That was <laughs> it's a low-lying low fruit, right? No. <laughs> so with that, thank you, Rob, uh, for joining us today and taking the time to share your professional endeavors. Uh, I am certain that University of Florida Department of Sport Management, our students, our faculty and alumni appreciate and value your thoughts that have you shared with us today. Uh, so please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at UFSPM. We're your host, Brian Avery. And Shelly Lyle. And, and go, go Gators. Gators. Gators.